Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb. And I hope this is going to be a good show, man. I'm in like kind of a bad mood. I'm kind of sleepy. Uh, they just banned Book of Exalted Deeds, you know, that, just everything. That's what's weighing on you right now, <laughs> the banning of no. Book of Exalted Deeds. Not even an actual standard in Magic 2022 standard, which you were playing a lot of, right? You enjoyed that format? Oh, a decent amount. I, I played it. I wouldn't say I enjoyed it. Okay. Well, there we go. Um, so similarly to, to standard when, you know, like there's only so many playable cards per set, right? And then right. When, when you just ban like 10% of them, the standard format really starts to feel like it's lacking something, right? You're just like scraping by to find playables that you're actually happy to put in your decks. And it doesn't seem like... You know, the decks that you're building are very well supported, which is probably true because they were using a bunch of the power points that they could distribute in the set on the things that ended up getting banned. So it's like, yeah, you're playing a deck that wasn't supposed to be viable, you know, and it just all ends up feeling kind of mopey. And I feel like that's basically what 22 is. Did you feel good getting out from like the shadow of Eldraine though and not having to deal with Innkeeper or, you know, any of the other oppressive stuff that has existed throughout this time, ultimatums or uh, rogues, anything like that? Yes and no, because while playing against those cards stinks and, you know, trying to be good against those cards when fundamentally you just can't really. Yeah. There are some other issues where, you know, you just get sick of things like Goldspan Dragon, Asika's Chariot, whatever. Uh, Alrun's Epiphany is still there. And there just aren't a lot of really good ways to fight those things. You know, normally it's like, well, I'll play this like really hard control deck or this like really fast aggro deck or whatever. Instead, those things don't really exist so Mm. the format's kind of like mid-range soup and if that's the case well you know things like goldspan dragon they're gonna rise to the top right because it's like kind of the best mid-range thing to be doing so you know you replace edgewall innkeeper with this dragon or whatever and it kind of feels the same you know it's like okay i'm not losing to technically the same stuff as i was before but i kind of am Losing to the same idea, which in some ways uh, may be even more painful. I, I personally didn't play 2022. I I don't know, man. Like I have I felt like I had too much to learn about real standard to really invest time in to what end? my feet went there. To well, what end? To make this show number one, uh, to write my articles number two, and to prepare myself for the return of organized play, which is no. No, not that. Um, I don't know. I mean, why do we do any of this? That's that's the question I have to ask myself every single time. And the answer I have for you, Gerald, is joy. That's why I do all this. And I have felt a lot of joy playing actual standard um, and winning a bunch and doing so while refusing to just head down the trail of any of the default decks, which usually monopolize all the winning in standard things like uh, Edgewall Innkeeper decks. Although I've I've played a little bit of Edgewall Innkeeper with my own flavor. Um, no no real Goldspan Dragoning. Again, a small amount, but more focused on other stuff. Uh, just playing new cards and and having success and enjoying these new decks. Actually, yeah, I guess thinking about it and looking at your deck list, a lot of your decks could probably be improved by adding Goldspan Dragon. 
Yeah. Just going to throw that out there. And I, I no, have I, felt I joy. I have felt joy recently. Uh, it It's, it's usually when, you know, like thinking about modern, which kind of just means that we might be on the darkest timeline. Different timeline for sure. I mean, yeah. that's not, that's not where I thought things were going to go, especially given, uh, modern horizons to i don't know if rocky is the right word just there were some very clear outliers and still are some clear outliers but uh format's gotten itself into a good place despite those things so well yeah i would i would kind of contest that as well but yeah it's just like i i used to be a big modern naysayer right and now we've gotten to the point where it's like that's my favorite format i guess and it's like what what happens it's not like the format's great you know? Just by default, it's winning. Yeah, kinda. Ugh, that's that's not great. But hey, that was a solid like five weeks of where you know I was thinking about modern a lot, playing a bunch, got to make content on it. It was great. I hope that people are still interested in it so that I can continue to make content on it. But then again, I don't know if they're interested in it to begin with. So who knows? Right. No, that's a fair question, and I I don't know what the standard interest is like. I mean, I. Like I said, my focus was on standard because I was assuming, well, I can't go write articles about 2022. And then I think a bunch of people are writing about it this week over on Star City. So I, maybe that's actually where the attention lies. And uh, I saw Brad Nelson did like a poll asking people what they were playing. And the <laughs> overwhelming answer was just nothing. Um, but there was definitely more support for standard 2022 than traditional standard in his poll. Um, it was like 22%. 2022, 14% regular standard, 60% not playing. But uh, yeah, at, at least it's the leader in the clubhouse. Those those polls are they always self-selecting. Yeah. I, I know. Yes, there's there's problems with Twitter polls for sure. And, it's interesting, know, though, like the thing I took away from it was, you know, I would assume the vast majority, if not all of the people who follow Brad are there because they are fans of his for the most part or they want information from him they are they're magic diehards for the most part and 61 percent of them i don't know if that's the exact number but a large percentage of them are just like not playing don't care and this is a couple days after the new set came out so yeah but i don't think that that's entirely reflective right i think a lot of people would check that box to to be edgy or whatever to be funny sure or to show their disdain it's like Yes, I did play 20 matches today, but I'm going to say that I'm not playing because I'm not enjoying right. myself or whatever, right? So it's like, if you could get an actual truthful response from people, that would be different. I would be interested in seeing those results for sure. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, I responded truthfully and said I've been playing standard, which is 100% accurate. Yeah, so around uh, maybe maybe just like the weekend, but like Monday certainly when I was trying to hammer out what my article topic was going to be this week, I noticed that the the winds were kind of shifting and a lot of people were tweeting about 22 and most of the people who would normally stream standard were streaming it and stuff like that. And it just seemed like there was far more interest there. So then I asked Cedric what he would be more interested in. If it was like normal standard or 22 or modern or whatever. And I, th I think he had kind of the same response that you did where it's like, oh, this 22 thing is fake, right? Like no one cares. And it's like, no, actually they do care a lot uh, from what I could tell. Yeah, just another reflection of 
the ways magic is changing, I think. And, you know, a digital only format, if that's going to become the hot topic of interest, it's on us to adjust to that. Uh, and it's also on Wizards to manage that metagame appropriately. And I guess that means banning the book of Exalted Deeds. Good. We hardly knew ye. Yeah, whatever. Who cares? Uh, I don't care. I, I said in my article, I wrote about book in regular standard because I thought it was pretty interesting, pretty good. Uh, and I think the first line of my description of the deck was, regardless of how good this is, this should have never been printed into standard. Because it's, it, it's not a good thing to have exist. Yeah. Uh, so point number one is that you ban a card in any format, you should give people wild cards for it. Agree. Point number two is you make a thing that says an angel gets platinum angel ability. You just did a changeling set. I would probably do a pass for that. I would check that, yes. Also, it's the like most important card in the format. And think you should have had pretty high expectations for it being 4-3 uh, based on the key mana mechanic in the format. So, yeah, a, a check would be nice for sure. Yeah, so a little a little bit of an oopsie there, but they fixed it real quick. They didn't fix it in the best way, you know. Uh, but I'm I'm glad that it's not in the format, or at least you know won't be by the time this comes out. So, do you yeah. think they should have taken it out in regular standard as well? Uh, probably not, because I I think the decks are a lot better there. Like you're doing a much better job of actually putting pressure on them and potentially even having like removal open for when they try and go for that combo. There's a bigger card pool. So if you want to answer it, you can like, it seems like maybe a fine wrinkle to have in the format as far as like, Oh, I assemble this like two card kind of awkward combo and maybe win the game. I think that that's fine. The way it plays out after that is pretty heinous regardless. Mm -hmm. So, you know, probably should not exist, but as far as like it existing in standard and being fine, it is probably fine, but is There's also the difference between a best of one format and a best of three format. I mean, I, I think yeah. that's night and day. Yep, absolutely. So uh, I, I think that it should that that sort of gameplay should not really be encouraged in any format. But as far as it being in standard, it's like the format can adapt to it. It's not that big of a deal. But if you have to sit through those games where your opponent assembles this combo and then, you know, the game goes on for 40 more minutes, that sucks. That mm -hmm. should that should not be a feature. Yeah, not great. And, uh, you know, after playing a few of those games with a mono white Book of Exalted Deeds deck that I was pretty high on, I thought it was very good. Uh, I was just like, I've had enough of this and I don't I don't want to do this yeah. to people anymore. I don't want to participate in this. I don't care if this is good or not. Let's uh, let's go ahead and back this up. Yep. Uh, OK, standard itself. Have you found yourself. Like actually wanting to play some of these new cards rather than the old stuff based on maybe not power level, but just like potential viability, I suppose. Yes, some. Absolutely. I mean, certainly a lot of the process during these first few weeks is just like try out everything, see what sticks. But there are cards that I am discovering where I'm just like, yeah, this is this is there on rate uh, on impact, not in the future. Right now it's there. It's good enough. And uh I don't know if, you know, some of the focus on Standard 22 is keeping other people from discovering that or if people are just 
burnt out at this point and just like I, I don't even care i'm just waiting for edgewall innkeeper and friends to leave and then i'll i'll come back and check it out uh but i've been impressed with how well some of these new cards hold up well people are just allergic to rakdos in general i think so well that's the card i've been most impressed with and a, a lot of times if i were to propose so over on star city we do our top five lists where all of the content creators get together. We all threw out our own top five. Not all. Not all. You didn't participate in this standard one. Um, Could have used some backup there. But anyway, the story is we, we put out our picks and there's an aggregate list and that's what's put together. And, you know, with the exception of Strixhaven, where I was just like, these cards are all nonsense. I, I don't even know if they're going to get played. So it's fine if nobody else has this. But in this case, where there are some very good cards, you expect to see some backup for what you have as your number one card. And I was the only person out of seven people, not only the only person who put Orcus number one on his list, the only person who had it anywhere on his top five cards. And usually I'd be like, oh, did I mess this up? Like, I feel like I misevaluated this card. But at this point, the set had been out for a few days and I had cast this card. It's really, really good. And I was just like, well, maybe nobody else has actually cast this card uh, because I don't understand why it's not getting more press right now. Yeah, the good news for you is that I've also played a decent amount of standard and a lot of opponents have been pretty happy to cast this against me and it's been good. Oh, good. I'm glad you're getting it from the other side as well. Uh, anything in terms of your deck building where you've tried to build around Orcus thus far? Dude, I don't I don't know what to do. It's like you can put it in like a pretty normal shell where it's like, yeah, sometimes I sweep the board. Sometimes I get a little bit of value and just try and go from there. And I think that, that that's a fine approach. But that kind of shell doesn't seem particularly good. Like Rakdos has had issues in the past, certainly with dealing with Saltai for sure, but also adventures on occasion and that led me down the path of like, well, let's let's see if we can do like some busted stuff with the treasures and making a bunch of mana and casting this card and trying to get like a, a pretty big battlefield advantage on like turn six or seven or something. And with all the treasure stuff, man, like there's there's an engine there. I just don't know what the optimal way to go about it is. And I'm I'm working on so many different decks like in that vein uh I, i'm not sure that like orcus is even the best thing to be doing once you have access to all that stuff but uh i mean re- regardless like you want to play it in like more of a fair shell or just like get some colains and shambling gas back and stuff like that like that's good too but i, I just don't know which version is actually best you know no i I, I'm with you. Uh, I have really enjoyed the treasure stuff alongside Orcus. We talked a bit last week's show about how I was going about doing that. I think that deck's still fine. Um, but where I have kind of been exploring this week is sort of a more traditional shell, I guess. But I'm just playing it in Adventures. And it has been so, so powerful there because you just don't lose that that edgewall innkeeper war anymore regardless of what side you're on like if you're trying to control opposing edgewall innkeepers or you're just trying to keep yours on the battlefield you will do it orcus will let you do those things very very consistently uh one of the things about opening up to john is you also get access to things like 
order of midnight. So you're just able to play these really long controlling games on the back of Orcus. But because you are Jund, you can't do like Naya adventures things where you're banking on, say, elite spellbinder or Dranith magistrate to disrupt your opponent if uh, sufficiently to keep them off of things like uh, emergent ultimatum. So you now have to tap into some aggression. And Jund still does that really well. If you think back to how these decks first look when they showed up they would be like questing beast embercleave decks with rimrock knight and you can still do all that you can be like the essential gruel shell and just splashing for orcus and then i think you get access to that beatdown plan which is fast enough to beat these decks in a lot of spots you have access to the attrition thing where your edgewall innkeeper just draws a billion cards throughout the entire game and then you can also do control stuff and all of these are supplemented so well by orcus because like i said you can cast it for four mana have a five three flyer that tramples and that's really good in a bunch of spots especially in combination with things like ember cleave as turn goes on so this john setup has been phenomenal for me um i, I think like if it was a extremely heavy soul tie metagame this is not the best adventures deck to play against soul tie specifically counter spell is probably better counter spells are better but the fact that you are so well positioned against other adventure decks that are targeting soul tie means you find yourself a really good like slice of the metagame and you have a acceptable soul time matchup if if not like i think you can play it to a coin flip if you're willing to sideboard enough cards which uh, that's fine like that's a great place to be in if you have this massive edge in all these other matchups and i think you do right now when you're leaning on orcus yeah no that that all tracks with me my experience has mostly been the same i do like the jun deck i think that there are some some changes you could make of course but you know it's early Right. We'll figure this stuff out. We can figure all of that out. I think the idea is identify the shell at this point and know exactly what you're doing. And this deck just kind of sings to me. It feels like it's doing all the stuff you want to do in the metagame. That's what's so cool about it is it lines up very, very well with the existing metagame. Uh, Whereas like the treasure stuff is trying to sort of carve out its own niche and maybe is more of something for the future. Uh, This feels like a deck for right now. Yeah, and Edgewall Innkeeper Bonecrusher Giant is always going to be a fine thing to fall back on, right? Good baseline, yep. Yeah, so you you start there, and then you adjust as necessary, and now it's like, well, we have a bunch of Triumphs and Pathways and Fable Passages, and a lot of the versions are playing Jasper Sentinel and some other different uh, mana fixers and stuff like that. It's like you can play whatever, like, three or even four-color combination you want to if you feel like that is going to get you the edge that you need. Yeah, that is that is my next step. It's like, okay, I stretched out to three colors. I was very happy with it. And I guess it's not really a stretch, you know, where Naya Adventures is one of the top decks. But now I'm like, well, what if we go four? Because it's not that hard to make that stretch. And it's not. But I, I, I think you can cover any weaknesses you find at that point. But I just don't think the weaknesses are that severe with this deck, which is why I haven't gone down that road yet. Yeah, I guess th- this just popped into my head is like one of the... Uh, Naya deck started splashing counterspells last season for kind of the same thing where it's like, yeah, we have Spellbinder and we have Roiling Vortex and these things that are like kind of disruptive and maybe get us to a coin flip or whatever. But like once you add, you know, some disputes or disdainful strokes, whatever to the mix, then you start seeing like really, really good returns, at least in the Sultai matchup. And uh, they, they kind of did that seamlessly, you know? So like you yeah. could do the same thing here, but it's just like, I don't know. At that point, should you not just be playing Teamer or whatever? Like, are you getting that much from Orcus? Do you actually need Orcus? 
It's a good question. And I, I don't know the answer to it because I haven't experimented with that yet. But my instinct is like, take the edge in these adventure, quote unquote, mirrors that Orcus gives you. And I think that's a really good place to be for this moment in the metagame. Yeah, so where did you end up with Rakdos itself? Uh, more, more so interested in like overall game plan versus specific deck choices, you know? Yeah, so I, I've gotten away from like the graveyardy Croxa uh, timer it calls the dead stuff, um, and and just really pushed hard on that treasure package because it has paid me well enough where I'm willing for that to be my focal point. Uh, I, I think the the I would say the Croxa approach is a little bit more mid range ish because it doesn't do the f- fireball type end games as well. Um, and I, I think that's important if you're going to keep pace with things like the Emergent Ultimatum decks. So so hard treasures is my focus right now for the Rakdos deck. Um, you know, you, you can do things like sideboard in a very graveyard focused package which i've been very happy with you can do like ebb and death and skyclave shades against things like rogues um which i think is a fine b plan it's also good against any kind of longer control deck should that exist i mean obviously it's mostly sultai that you have to worry about at this moment but if something pops up and there has been some demir actually floating around that i've seen uh i'm going to talk about a control deck that i really like later on in this episode so so there are options to do more traditional control and i I think the rakdos decks can do a good job uh just playing a longer grinding game against them as well well on the other side of the treasure front uh i stumbled into uh kind of a weird combination of cards and then you reminded me that we had actually worked on the shell previously this is like jasper sentinel magda kinnon mm-hmm and now you have uh, Prosperous Innkeeper and, you know, whatever, some some other treasure makers if you want them. And I've had some just like truly absurd like turn two and turn threes. And I'm still working to try and figure out like, yeah, you can just you can jam Goldspan Dragon on turn three and be very far ahead. But then if you just kind of like run out of gas, what do you do after that? So I'm like trying to fix that issue and haven't really figured it out. And one of the reasons I brought the four color thing was because one of the things that I started doing was just playing showdown of the scalds. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's comically easy with all the treasures, right? You you just get to, you know, if you have one card like that, you can very easily just put it in your deck. And maybe I, I believe that maybe just change like your basics to pathways if you want. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think innkeeper in particular does a tremendous job of opening up those lanes and, uh, I, that's that's the difference maker here right that's the card we were missing that is the perfect glue to transition from that early game to the late game yeah it's also pretty nice where it just kind of like keeps you alive right so yeah, you're sure you're kind of messing around in the early turns against something like mono red aggro where you would just be like getting beaten down falling behind and now you're you're just up like three or four life which maybe gives you an extra turn to you know get to Alrun's epiphany or something like that to be able to close the game so it's yeah. been pretty nice uh, so I, I know you're doing like the treasure thing. You're getting paid on your Kinnons. So I understand why you want multiple treasures in your deck. But have you experimented with maybe fewer Goldspan Dragons and more Imrith in that spot? I mean, it seems like exactly the type of deck where you're you're dumping a lot of your hand onto the battlefield, have the potential to just vomit your entire hand. Uh, you're playing Imrith ahead of schedule, which makes it virtually unkillable due to its Ward 4 until you have uh, you know, an attack step lined up. 
And then if you hit and you're low on cards, you know, picking up three should be game breaking. I considered cutting you off, but I decided to just let you finish. I currently well, thank have, you. I, I currently have, I currently have four and two in my deck. Okay, there you go. You're ahead of me. Yeah, because what everything that you said just tracks, right? It's like you empty your hand very quickly, and this thing is like both a good blocker and a huge threat that then refuels you. So I was like, maybe this is it. But then I got to a point where I was like, well, maybe Showdown is better than this, so that you don't have as much concentration at the five mana slot. And mm-hmm. I don't know, Showdown is still very awkward when you have like five drops in your deck and Alrin's Epiphany and, and stuff like that. So. I don't know if it's the best answer. I feel like if showdown is good, you probably have to find something else worth doing that doesn't involve five mana cards. But sure. Goldspan is like part of the engine though. Like I don't think that you can cut it because it makes treasures. It makes the treasures add an extra mana. And like, that's kind of what allows you to just have like these, you know, 14 mana turns or whatever. Yeah. It feels like you are, I won't say missing because like, obviously your deck can do very very powerful things but something modal like hydroid crisis is really the missing piece something that just scales ridiculously throughout the game but is also valid in the early game would be perfect i i currently have two layer of the hydra yeah that's that's a good mana sink for sure i have a shatter skull smashing which should not be surprising and is also you know not the best way to sink a bunch of mana in right because mm-hmm. you're you're either doing it for like X is two to kill some small things or you're doing it for six and then that just kills everything, right? So you don't need 20 mana to make that card good. But like Kinnon has been a fine payoff, especially once you add more dragons. But yep. mostly I was looking for like a good three or four mana card to kind of like bridge and I was playing some expressive iterations. I think we all know how good that card is at this point, but a little awkward on the mana when you're trying to play like turn one Jasper Sentinel off a land that only taps for green you know sure you can only iteration on like turn four at that point it feels like there should be a kicker card out there that is just like exactly what we're looking for but and nothing is springing to mind very quickly yeah maybe i have a couple prismari commands too but okay yeah it's, it's not been ideal for sure yeah that's gonna be an interesting puzzle to solve i'm thinking of like there's lame stuff like multiple choice and I don't think that actually gets you anywhere. And nah, I don't know. This will be a, an interesting thing to track as the format evolves. I, I've felt a few times now this pinch where I just want modal things. I want to be able to scale my mana appropriately into the late game where I'm doing these treasure engines. Again, one of the reasons I love Orcus so much is that it does that trick. Um, but there should be more stuff out there for us to use. <laughs> so I'm searching for Planeswalker. I just typed Planeswalker into the text bar. Yeah, there's right? like Kicker Jace. And normally it would just like, it would show you all the Planeswalkers, but now all the cards deal damage to Planeswalkers. So it's like not oh, even, yeah, not even yeah. being very helpful. That's funny. Um, there's also the the big blue Planeswalker. Uh, what's that thing called? More, I want to call it Mordekaiser, but that's from Teamfight Tactics. It's definitely not Mordekaiser. <laughs> I think it's Mordekainen. I don't know. Whatever. That may be correct. Uh, that's seen some play in the Demir decks I mentioned before. I think that's mostly because they're playing things like uh, Blood on the Snow. So they're looking for these big bodies to bring back. Okay. Yeah, I could see but that. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's something your deck could potentially be interested in or if you just have enough upside already that you don't really need to look for more threats, more 
I mean, I don't even know how to really classify that card. It's it's a strange card for sure. Yo, you know a card would be awesome in this deck? What card? I just found this card called Omnath Locust of Creation. Yeah, I, I bet that would be decent. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe an Oko. I mean, that's probably a good card in this deck, right? It's it's probably good. I, w- I wasn't like, oh man, Oko solves all my problems. I definitely saw that card too. Right. Yeah, funny, funny all these cards that are out there. What if you had Once Upon a Time and you could just, you know, fix your early turns a little bit? That would be helpful too. That'd be really yeah. nice. A lot of good cards out there. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to just be doing like Great Henge, Vivian type of stuff, but. It's this weird thing where you you want to do your due diligence of these new endgames. Like we know those endgames. We know you can Great Henge in a bunch of spots. We know what Vivian can do. You want to know if there's other ways to reach these points where you're able to outscale everything else. And I think there are, um, but some of them are always going to be outmoded by cards as powerful as the Great Henge. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. That was that was kind of my experimentation. But like you go Jasper Sentinel into Kinnon into like Innkeeper or Magda or whatever. It's like you're off to the races. You're so yeah, far just ahead. Just going off for sure. Uh, you just you just need something to do with that mana, and uh, obviously the dragons fill that role well. And then you just want something to refill your hand a little bit. You know, some good way to spend your mana. And I think if if people crack that code it's like well you don't really need edgewall innkeeper anymore like that's that's kind of old hat compared to this engine i think man explosiveness is worth a lot and uh we've been through it a few times in this format if you can consistently set up that engine that excited us from day one when we saw cards like uh magda and jesper sentinel there's something there for sure can you believe that there were people that said jasper sentinel was not playable I can I can believe anything, Gerald. I I think magic card evaluation is very challenging. Um, I st- strongly disagreed with anyone who said that, um, but I'm sure I've said some shit that doesn't really track whatsoever. And I, I probably say it on a regular basis, quite frankly. So I yeah, believe it. Yeah. So this this wasn't like evaluating magic cards, right? This was like the, a card already existed and that colored the evaluation of the card, which is what I found funny about it. It's like the the context is completely different. Right, but also that card was good. Like, maybe yes. not good, it was acceptable. So if like that was acceptable, it was obviously way worse, and then the context is completely different. Why can this card not shine? Yeah. And then we get things like Magda and Kinnon to make it just potentially very, very good. I mean, even like Clarion Spirit with Jasper yeah. Sentinel was awesome. It, it didn't even use that stuff. It was just like... Here's a just Jasper Sentinel. Like this is a good enough card. I don't even need to do these broken synergies, and it has more than held its own throughout its time in standard. And it just has reach, you know. Good ability. I don't know. Whatever that, that card is completely reasonable, and you will see a lot of it in twenty two. It's just it's in all the decks, as it should be. I mean, any kind of one mana accelerant should always get our attention, uh, unless it's you know replaced by birds of paradise or something like that i expect that trend to continue i'm playing both who cares sure sure why not all right i uh one thing that i was playing in in my deck that i i just remembered was i had an ox of Agonis that was quite good but i kind of replaced that with imrith and then uh one of the other versions i had uh corvold but that was like more treasury so i don't know how deep down that rabbit hole i want to go but Interesting. Corvold's like also, you know, pretty fairly contained unless you have a bunch of treasures. So 
you'd have to go kind of deep on that. But maybe I'll revisit that. That seems fine to me. Yeah, I might want to take a look at that for my Rakdos treasure stuff. Like you said, it's, it's so easy to squeeze in a card like that um, and add a couple pathways, have your treasures, and you're you're basically ready to go. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Corvold is super easy. Yeah. Maybe maybe I'll just have to work with that more. Interesting. Uh, I want I want you to work on the Kinnon stuff, though, because I feel like you're a little bit better at the, the weirdo engine stuff than I am. Well, I will go ahead and take a look at that. It's certainly on my to-do list uh, you bringing it back up excited me because uh, basically that's where i spent like the first i don't know two weeks of that format and then you you said what we found after that what was it that got us all? oh uh showdown of the skulls where we were just like yes this is it and then we started focusing on that card entirely yeah yeah that tracks but i am i am happy to go back to that engine um but before i do that i have to tell you the other stuff i've been working on too all right uh there's more hit me but wait but wait, there's more. Uh, hit me with Bard Class, because I think that that card is cool and interesting. All the yeah. versions I've played against have been like these really kind of embarrassing gruel legend decks that are trying to beat me down, but are playing just exclusively like pretty poor cards. So yeah, it has not worked. So my Bard Class deck is also not good, unfortunately. I, no. I hate to, yeah, I Come hate on. to bring that up. I, I mean... I, I think it's a little bit smarter than that. I'll, I'll say that it's it's trying to do more stuff. The problem is that while Bard class is extremely strong, I think, and the payoff is absolutely there, uh, it takes time. And this style of mid range is it, it, it's so much slower than something like a uh, Rakdos Treasures deck that's trying to still do like a mid-rangeish type thing, or so so much slower than anything that's based around Goldspan Dragon, because it's just like here's my Magda and here's my Asika, and now I'll play a Kolvari, and like all these cards are good, even even Questing Beasts, like all this stuff in conjunction with each other, it all sounds good. I think the the discount that bard class gives you is great i think the late game it gives you with its card selection ability when you get it up to level three also extremely strong but it just doesn't line up with the format right now and maybe i have to look at ways to do this in like white and just go ahead and elite spellbinder and dranith magistrate and use that to get the time i need but what i'm doing now is just like valky magda um, and obviously you get access to Tybalt as well, uh, going into a Sika, which then goes questing beast for Orcus, because this is a way to maximize your legends and still be active on the battlefield control opposing battlefields. And I think this deck is fine if you're playing against like other creature decks, it's just not ever going to beat, uh, something like Sultai ultimatum. Like it's not even close and there's nothing you can really do to fix the matchup. So, so that is why I have mostly stopped my experimentation with Bard class. If you can solve that problem for me, I'll come back to it, but I, I don't know the answer to that right now. Fair enough. Don't mind me. I'm just over here adding trail of crumbs to my Corval deck. Well, that's, that's cheating. Now you've, you've activated it's super mode. And it's not supposed to be that easy. The, the messed up part of this is that, so I have three Corvolds already, right? Do I really want to craft the fourth one just to work on this thing when it's just going to be gone in like three months or whatever? 
Yeah, I mean, it's some historic play. I'm not sure anyone's ever gone as far as... Not in a deck that four. I would ever play. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever gone as far as four core No, they, anyway, they so. have, though. That's like they Have, have they? Yeah, they've played four before, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Not when Brainstorm's legal. Yeah, that's true. That's, 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 that's a post-Brainstorm thing. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, do you have any, any way to solve this problem? Do you have something to offer me with Bard class that you've tried that isn't just making like a good solid mid-range deck, but one that does not match up with the format whatsoever? No, I mean, you're going to have the same problem, right? You're like, oh, Bard class, level it. All right, I'll, I'll just drop my hand, right? All my cards are frog mites now or whatever. And then you're just there with a bunch of things that don't refuel your hand. So like, yeah, you, you know, you need some way to get around that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it is just like the the Great Henge, Vivian stuff, or like Ranger class, and you just try and snowball from yeah, there. I, but you're still just not winning the game in time. Like that's that's the whole problem you come back to. And also again, Sultai, yeah, obviously, but like yeah. you're gonna have that problem with everything. I think. Yeah, the, the other problem with Bard class, like you talk about having your uh, frog mites everywhere there's there's not a lot of good legends that actually use both red and green like i have a clothes in my deck and i have a core vault in my deck and that's the only time i'm getting paid with both of those colors of mana Dude, uh, there we go maybe Corvold yeah, is the answer to no, all our problems maybe it is yeah and that's that's fine maybe that's a good place to rebuild this deck around uh but as it stands like i said i'm relying on orcus and then there's like questing beast and asika and magda and valky and none of this stuff gets the full discount you're always getting all mana off which is still very good especially when these creatures are coming down larger than they would otherwise be due to bard class um but it's very hard to like put your two mana into bard class and get the immediate return on it only clothes is really doing that yeah i don't know people are playing like the red green two two and grum no, gully no, and uh, i don't think you can do that rada are too bad yeah, so I thought too. And that that was kind of how it played out in my experience. But like that's kind of the only way that you're actually going to get the discount. That's how you get the max discount, for sure. And uh, that's why I think you're better off just like playing very heavy hitters where the one mana discount really matters. Like uh, a three mana Orcus is extremely strong, as is the three mana Questing Beast. So you will take that. And if you get your three mana Corval, then you're extremely far. But now that we're talking about that, I, I do actually want to go back and take a look with like, a starting point of four Jespera Sentinel, four Gilded Goose, and then go into leading up to Corvald, maybe even Trail of Crumbs to like have a, a little bit longer late game and see what that looks like. I'm going to send you my deck right now. Okay. I'm going to stop this podcast and go play it. I played it. I won all my games. I, I just got Monkey's Pod, man. Okay, so this is... Uh, 52 cards, and I only Perfect. have I only have amount. 20 land at the moment with two shatter skulls smashing. So need to fill it out a little bit, you know. Yeah, these are these are powerful magic cards. A little prosperous innkeeper, goldspan dragon, and Corvold at the top end. Trail of crumbs, sure. All, all this stuff looks good. Trail helps you spend your mana, I guess. You think you're winning games before Soltai kills you? No. No, of course <laughs> never, not. Never under any circumstances. Yeah, why do you keep asking me that? I don't know, man. I All mean, right. like this this is the question I have asked myself over and over through this deck building. And the things like I'm actually excited about, I only get excited when I am beating Soltai. I think otherwise it's just a 
exercise in futility. It's very much a pull of the format. And if you're not beating it consistently, you can mostly discard your ideas. All right, I know how to get you on board, but I also know that you're going to rally against it somewhat because I added two Orcus, and I know that you're going to up that number to four for no discernible reason. Sure, why not four? I mean, you have all these small creatures. You got Prosperous Innkeepers, Magdas. Max it out. I Let's also have Corvold and Goldspan Dragon, man. My deck's yeah. expensive. It is expensive, but you've done a good job on the bottom end. Gilded Goose, Jesper Sentinel, Prosperous Innkeeper, Magda. I mean, that's you're, you're producing a lot of mana with your creatures. I think you've you've done your homework, gotten to the place where you are getting paid on this stuff. So yeah, uh, I did a very very cursory pass on Monk class. Mm. I did not come to any great conclusions. I think that it is powerful and it potentially facilitates the sort of deck that I would want to play, which is great. I just don't think the cards exist. I think this card is incredible, and I think it's already incredible. It exceeded my expectations by such a dramatic degree. I was sort of blown away by it. Um, and I, I know the type of deck you want to play. You also know the type of deck I want to play, and they're not the same thing. No. But if you are willing to play my type of deck, which is just boring, not flashy, uh, Azorius Control is what I'm playing Monk class in. And it is so, so great there if you build your deck around maximizing it. I mean, you have to play some cheap spells. I think that's important to get your you know second spell bonus basically every turn you want it you also have to play some cheap instants because this is going to be your card advantage engine as you get to the late game when you hit level three of this if you're not familiar with monk class level three abilities at the beginning of your upkeep exile the top card of your library for as long as it remains exiled it has you may cast this card from exile as long as you've cast another spell this turn so my first thought was like well i can't play a bunch of counter magic in my deck because it's just going to get exiled to monk class and i'm like well wait a second what if i just turn it on on my opponent's turn too what if i find enough instants where i'm able to do that and i don't think you really need that many i i have opt i have behold the multiverse and with behold the multiverse's foretell ability you can get that at a discount a lot of the time and you're just playing super long games so you're not going to be constrained on mana you'll get to that point of comfort where you're able to do this stuff and you don't have to play it that turn it just sits there in exile forever right um so this strategy has worked out really well for me and the best thing about monk class is that now you can clean up everything without playing stupid cards. You don't have to play Banishing Light, which is just like super inefficient and awkward. You just intend on getting things as they come together. You have your Jawari disruptions to get your mana count up nice and high. So you're interacting early. At some point, you're going to have Sought coming online. But if something slips through and you're vulnerable, Monk Class bounces any non-land permanent. So any of these problematic planeswalkers, a, a Tybalt, anything that would otherwise give you fits, you just clean it up with your monk class and then you get back to business. Find a win condition, my win condition. I, I've got a few. Uh, I've got my two Imeriths. I've got two Grandmaster of Flowers, which, man, is that card so good in this deck. It just does the Icy Manipulator, Shatter the Sky thing so well. It used to be Icy Manipulator, Wrath of God. Yeah. Where you just force your opponent to keep extending into it and then you sweep them. And they can never recover from that. Uh, I guess I technically have my one monk of the open hand, which doesn't seem like it should matter, but it's been a 4-4 or a 5-5 for me a bunch of times and just brick walling my opponent's attacks. Uh, I didn't really think it would play that role, but it, it does do that occasionally. 
And then I have one Hall of the Storm Giants, uh, just kind of, I saw it as sort of free. I haven't actually had to use it. I'm Earth has been plenty, as has Grandmaster of Flowers. Um, but th this deck, I posted it over on my Twitter if you want to get a look at exactly what I'm playing. It outperformed all my expectations. And I, I think once I found Opt and was playing Opt to turn on Monk Class whenever I wanted, that was sort of the key. And I'm excited about this deck, not only in the future, but I think it's good right now. Yeah, I started with Opt. Brazen Borrower was the other card where I'm like, this, this is pretty nice together, right? Because Monk Class already does like a, a tempo-y thing pretty yeah. well. And uh, Brazen Borrower, you know, gives you two spells, right? So you have like the first spell a lot of the time to enable the level three on it and stuff like that. And Loyal Warhound gives you some extra mana, which is nice. So I was like, well, maybe I can build like a tempo-y shell. You know, and it's just like, it's not there, unfortunately. No, no I, I don't think it is. But that's where I started with Monk Class 2 when I first saw it. I'm like, well, you can't do the counterspell thing. It's not going to work. And then I was like, well, actually, I'm not so sure about that. And then when you get to this late game where, you know, Monk Class is, it's mana efficient for you because most of the time you just need to have two mana presented into your opponent's turn. And then you want to spend the rest of your mana. So you'll get points in the mid game where you're very happy popping off this Monk Class, turning it on. And then in multiples, this card scales so, so well. And it just allows you to take over games and play that long, never-ending game that I love to play. And I, it feels like I've found inevitability against the rest of the format and also just good enough cards to keep up. Yeah, that's, that's definitely interesting. I'll have to take another look at your list and try it. But like, I really wanted this whole thing to come together, you know, and build... Uh, kind of delver feeling deck right but i'm just like oh wow like arcanist owl or whatever it's like oh man this is yeah. this is all pretty bad no the the creatures are not there for it yet i mean maybe at some point it, it's very possible because i think just the card monk class is so good in and of itself that if you just get a little bit of the right support around it i think there's a bunch of things you'll be able to build uh but this is the best thing i've found thus far um i wanted to get your opinion on a weird card i chose to play in my sideboard i don't know if this card's any good i think this is like sort of 2012 deck building but then i played it in a few games and i was like oh this is actually doing the job i really wanted it to do dude that's where i live is in 2012 so hit me uh you would hated this card in 2012 too uh i am playing Juan T malison oh. and i am sorry if i have pronounced that wrong or I know, I know it's a blue card, right? It is a blue card. It is uh, one colorless, one blue. Creature, Snake Rogue. It sounds like it should be a legend. It's not, though. Uh, Yon T. Malison can't be blocked as long as it's attacking alone. Whenever Yon T. Malison deals combat damage to a player, venture into the dungeon. Oh, yeah, I hate it. This is what I have been doing as like my... Basically, my, my current configuration is set up where you can do the thing where you sideboard out a bunch of your blue cards against control or against aggro bring in more white cards and then sign up set out a bunch of your white cards against control and bring in more blue cards so this is like my other blue cheap thing that i use to generate value in the early game while holding up counter magic on their key turns uh and the plan has been good enough it, it's, it's been just fine i mean you do it with monk class to some extent too where you just get it on the battlefield very early and then you're able to keep up your mana and your key spots like i mentioned before um, but this card has been interesting and 
I, I don't know. I mean, there's probably something more effective that you could do with the exact same role. But I wanted to try out some dungeon delving, and it actually has delivered on what I wanted thus far. So I think that sort of plan is good in matchups that don't exist, but there are just so many decks out there where you're like, yeah, we're kind of like this control mirror match, right? You know, you, but the control deck is like, is it dragons? And they're still going to keep in Bone Crusher against you because like, why won't they? Right. You know? Yeah. So, so it, not, there, it's not going to work there. I agree with you. This has been fine for me against Sultai, um, but against is it dragons? It's, it's just going to get plunked. Over yeah. and over. Against Sultai, though, if you just have a wall of counter spells and card drawing, I think you're okay. I don't think you need to be like venturing because even like a lot of the venture stuff doesn't seem like it helps you all that much. Like you're progressing towards something that helps you a lot. Right. But I would I would much rather just have like, I don't know, frantic inventory. Just something yeah. something crappy like that that gives you more of a return. So I've I've been going to the dungeon of the Mad Mage in this scenario, and I'm I'm sure you know exactly what that means, card for card. So I won't gain a life, know. scry one, either create a treasure uh, or you know a thing that's not relevant. Scry two. Uh, no, the, the other thing's relevant. I I can't believe you've gotten all these right so far. By the way, but. I'm I'm literally looking at the card. Oh, so you're game. cheating? Okay. I Fine. don't know what any of the dungeons do, man. I so this this is the one where I was like, oh man, if there's like a dungeon control deck, that'd be tight because the yeah. last one is draw three, reveal them, you may cast one of them without paying its mana cost. Like that's that's a good reward. Right. I, I think a bunch of these payoffs are fine. I think like target creature can't attack until your next turn is actually good in some situations. I mean, not in the spot where you're bringing this in. You're just making a treasure token almost every time, and that's also very good. But the consistent scrying where you have very key cards you want against them, and you always need to find more gas or find more control. I I've been impressed with it. I would I would rather have a cantrip. I would rather have frantic inventory when there's a rest in peace in play than have a two one that's like every third turn I get to scry or whatever. You're a cantrip. I'm done with you. Get out of here. You, you're, you're a cantrip. You're bad mouthing my snake rogue friend, and I won't stand for it. Look, man, if it was like a raccoon or something, I'd be like, yeah, man, you, understand. You, you do you, right? I love snakes, too. I, I just actually caught the first snake at my house uh, the other day, and uh, he was extremely angry. Yep. And usually, like, the the type of snakes you catch, they're, they're almost always garter snakes around here. And usually they're pretty benign snakes. Like, they don't really look to attack you. They'll just let you pick them up. Uh, the snake was out for blood. And respect. I mean, I, I kind of like interrupted his day. Obviously, I didn't hurt him. I picked him up very carefully. Um, but he spent all of his time trying to bite me. And then in all my years, like handling these garter snakes, I've, I've never had a snake do this. He went to constrict me. And like he went hard on my hand, like multiple fingers just being squeezed. And I'm like, this is <laughs> impressive work, snake. He did his best. Yeah, I, I don't think like garters are typically constricting snakes, but I mean, this this guy had some fight in him. He was ready to go. He had to do something, man. Well, I wasn't going to hurt him, obviously. I just kind of picked I mean, him up. Dude, I showed him my life. She's like, get that snake away from me. And then I put him back in the grass. He doesn't know that. Ooh, okay. So I just found some cards that I like with monk class. Okay, hit me. Of one mind. Yeah, that's a nice one. Uh, You know, assuming that you have creatures and stuff like you have I, a snake rogue in play right oh yeah of course and then uh one that i hesitate to bring up because it flopped so bad but i still think it's good uh kasima yeah that was our number one card for that set by the way 
Well, the entire set kind of sucked, so it's not our fault. It was it was a bad choice still, <laughs> but yes, it it seems fine with monk class, or at least interesting with monk class. Yeah, because I could see monk class with like some value creatures, and then you have like the Casima vehicle serving up uh, like the lands and stuff, you know. Yeah. So you monk can keep class your stuff going. Away, sure. Yeah. yeah. All sounds good. It sounds good. It's probably not good, but you know. No, I I don't actually believe that card is capable of anything i tried so many times and uh, may is it seen any play in standard 2022 have you been against the casima yet in that format i have not i don't think i've seen it cast yeah but i don't, I don't think it's going to be cast but it makes me think that maybe it should be cast well you try that you report back to me i'm pretty um, sure all the blue cards are not good like epiphany's good right but Right. Everything else is kind of like whatever. Yeah, there's there's these other Fertel cards. I, I think the Fertel cards are good. Behold the Multiverse saw it coming will probably remain good for quite some time. Yeah, I guess Imrith is a card too. Imrith, yep. Uh, now I'm looking at all the blue-white cards. I think I remember looking at all these and just being very underwhelmed. I already found all the best ones. Just play my deck and you'll be you'll be all set. Don't worry about it. I will. I'll give it. I'll give it at least one match. Perfect. What else? Anything else you're building? Anything else you want to talk about here today? As we detail the rest of our uh, experiences with adventures in the Forgotten Realms. I don't know, man. Monk class and bard class look fun, but obviously there are significant constraints on the format. You know. And okay, that that transitions really well to my next point. If if you don't have more to say, but go ahead, please. Uh, so like monk class needs very specific cards to exist and that's really tough to do for like 22 in smaller formats and especially mm -hmm. you know it's like a, a blue and white card that demands that you have like good mana early on and the mana is very shaky and stuff like that so there's there's a lot of issues but i don't know it could be a card that's like good a little bit further down the line we will see. And you again alluded to the point I wanted to make a, a mini rant that I'm going to drop. Hit me. How is it we go through this entire standard format and we've just been doing this for so what feels like so long now. And we were never able to successfully play two color aggro decks for the most. I mean, like there's like some exceptions. There's a little bit of Boros here and there. Like if you had a snarl and your deck was one of the very, very few that could benefit from actually having a snarl, you might have gotten to dabble in two color aggro and gotten to be like tier 2.5 or something like that. But for the most part, we were just completely closed out. And the deck where I am just, I, I mean, I'm basically driven crazy at this point it's Selesnya counters. This deck has gotten so much support in every possible set and plays such powerful cards. I'm going to hit you with my list right now. This is this is what I built real well, quick. Let's go. Four star pupil, a snakeskin veil, four swarm shambler, an ozolith, four stone coil serpent, four ochre jelly, four primal might, four conclave mentor, two scavenging news, two ranger class, four or excuse me, four ranger class, four luminarch aspirant, and then we're a Luris deck somehow. Like all these ridiculous <laughs> scaling threats, and we get to stay and be a Luris deck and have that late game combined with the late game of ranger class where we're a twenty. I don't know the exact number, 27, 28 creature deck. So we have these two really good 
persistent card advantage engines. We even have a mana sink and layer of the Hydra, like a really good attacking land. And all this sounds so, so awesome. And these cards all so powerful. And you're like, this covers so many things. You beat down so well. You, uh, you have this card advantage where you can legitimately grind out things like control. This has to be an awesome deck. And the reality is you just can't cast any of your freaking spells and it's terrible. It's it's just horrible versus something like mono green, which doesn't have the same type of synergies, isn't anywhere near as exciting to me, but it's strictly better in almost every way because it can just cast its spells all the time. And it's so frustrating that never did we get paid on this deck. And when I read that deck list to you, we're covering basically every single set that's legal and standard right now. Every set had something for this green-white tokens archetype. And for it not to be paid once throughout its existence, it sort of drives me a little crazy. The mana stinks. And Horrible. It, it's like maybe you assemble green and white mana on turn two, but it's often coming with a cost because it's like you have to fable passage for it or temple or whatever. But like if you just play, you know, uh, like 10 of each basic and four pathways or something, then your mana is just heinous. So like maybe you get it on turn two, right? But then it's like you end up with like three white and one green and you're just like, yeah, yeah you just like can't cast your spells, right? So it needs to be like, uh, like the Boros deck that I'm playing right now is basically all white cards and then you splash Showdown and Bone Crusher if you want it, you know? And it's yep. like, okay, that mana works. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, you have this. Are you playing Snarl as well? Yeah. Yeah. I, th I, that's the huge difference maker, right? Like, access to that card only in the enemy colors is driving me bonkers right now. Right. So the mana is a huge issue. And then, yeah, Bone Crusher Giant. It's like, you're like, oh, Conclave Mentor. They play Bone Crusher, they kill your thing, and they have a yeah. big blocker. And you're just like, I'm out of gas. Yeah, this is why cards like Star Pupil and Swarm Shambler and the Ozolith and Ochre Jelly, like that stuff is like, okay, there's legitimate ways to play through this. Is it good? No. You certainly don't want to face Bone Crusher Giant with this type of setup, but you have some tools. And then, like I said, you're a Lurus deck. So if you burn all their stuff and you get to a late game, you're able to rebuild in that fashion or you're a Ranger class deck and you're able to do the same thing. So it feels like you are starting to find answers to that very, very real problem. At, at least passable answers but it doesn't even matter because you can't cast these spells anyway so who cares all right i found i found this deck that i started working on too i just sent this to you on discord okay i'm looking at it now you can tell that i only started working on it because it has <laughs> 24 basic lands in it yeah and oh. only 54 cards those are both very good uh indicators that you may not have completed the deck but this looks cool if you're doing a little bant stuff here yeah uh, so, so adventures ish with monk class i was like jasper sentinel lotus cobra making the mana for monk class the adventures are good with it but again monk class has the same problem with jasper sentinel right where it's you know two pips far outside of uh the green stuff so casting it and activating it is a little bit awkward but i think that this this could be a thing, right? Like you just play monk class in Bant. That looks reasonable. Uh, I maybe maybe these decks are just supposed to play Jasper Sentinel, but that I don't know. That doesn't strike me as correct. I don't I don't know why. I just wanted to play like threat 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 threat. But yeah. Anyway, back back to green white dude. I I agree with you. Like every time that there's 
a set and it releases like a counters matter card it's like okay well you know is is this the time especially we're not that far removed from like winding constrictor stuff right Mm -hmm. and people clearly love that stuff and people have fond memories of winding constrictor like todd anderson has probably written articles about counter stuff uh several times in the last couple years you know and it's just like oh yeah this this still doesn't work my my bad so it's just such a feel bad when you like get people hyped up and then it's not even close to paying off i think it's fine for a period i i would be completely fine if for most of standard this was not a viable strategy even with all these cards out there because you're teasing towards something it's like eventually we're going to get to do this it's coming it's coming it's coming but to never deliver on it, that that's tough. That's that's a tough pill to swallow given how I don't know. I, I this deck just looks exciting to me. I think it does a bunch of really cool stuff. Um, and it, it's powerful, it's fun, and I am sad I will never get to play with it. Yeah, I think I think you just get to a point, you know, with with Throne where it's it's such a feel bad with all the ripple effects that it had, right? It's like mm-hmm. three waves of bannings or something, and then it's still just like well, you can't play, you know, two mana two twos with good abilities because you just get bone crushered. And it's just like, well, are, are we going to ban stuff again? Nah, let's just not. Let's just ride it out. And I, I think that that's fine. Whatever. Who cares? But um, maybe the correct thing would have been to allow just Selesnya counters to play once upon a time. And then we could have fixed our mana, kind of went into our deck, found our Conclave Mentor in the late game, and it all would have been okay. You still get crushed. You can't fix that problem. Fine. Now, my, now, not only are my creatures crushed, my dreams are crushed. Yeah. And I will go be sad. No, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. It's, it, it stinks to, you know, get people's expectations up and then not meet them, right? Like, if, if you are going to do this, you should probably try and pay it off. Uh, unless, you know, their whole plan was like, well, people like this counter stuff. Like, let's let's keep dropping like a card in the set here and there. But like, you got to expect that, you know, then people are going to want there to be a deck for it in standard, right? Yeah, it's weird because like all this stuff on its own has done something for the most part. I mean, like Star Pupil hasn't really and Conclave Mentor obviously needs the synergy to come together. Ochre Jelly is a new card, probably not very good outside of this particular shell um but everything else has has had its moment for sure uh just not together yeah it's weird i mean conclave mentor shows up in modern in busted Mm -hmm. combo decks and i've seen the jelly like people have played that in various decks i don't think it's like particularly good or anything but they've tried it like clearly they like the idea of that effect yeah i do too i would agree with that so it is it is overall kind of disappointing but i also get that it's difficult to design cards in this world where you've just been burned like nonstop for a year or two. And it's just like, you know, do, do we really want to push power level and Mm -hmm. make a bunch of risks? And especially, you know, I don't know for a card like ochre jelly or whatever, where if it is one of the best things to be doing, if it is really pushed, then that's like kind of frustrating to play against. So. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a good time for a little bit, of safety uh and i I think that's being reflected with like my enjoyment of this set there's clearly nothing that's 
pushing towards problematic, but I, I am having a good time building these decks and having a good time playing the games for the most part. Uh, so you can you can put this down as a small complaint, my my rant against the absence of Selesnya counters. I think on the whole, I am happy with the way this set has turned out. Um, I, I almost hesitate to do this, but okay, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give my answer to the question, and then I'm not speaking again for the rest of the podcast. So mm. basically, you, you have no choice but Hold to on. address this. I want to. I want to say one thing real quick. Please do. Uh, looking at results for standard, like full standard, not twenty-two. Yeah, it is. It is mostly the same decks that exist, yes. right? Yes. Maybe they look a little different. Uh, there are there are definitely decks playing new cards, whatever. Um, but the things that we just talked about, where it's like Orcus, a couple different class cards, those are the best cards i think to invest at least some of the power level in the set in because it gets you to do something different, different. And, and explore different options and you know again maybe maybe we're just stuck maybe like nothing that you could put in the set would like make a new archetype or whatever but like those are the things that people are excited to build around. I think that that's what makes a, a standard format fun is when like there are new archetypes popping up, right? Not necessarily just like, yeah. all right, we're playing the same decks and like every deck got a new card or whatever. Like it, it basically just feels like a lot of the same. And I think that that's really sad, but like that's been kind of the problem of like the last few sets where, you know, Strixhaven was pretty weak, but like this set isn't particularly weak. No, but, I don't think it is anymore. Yeah, but it's not having the impact that you would like it to have where it actually shakes things up and moves things. And I would like to see more of that going forward where like you're you're investing however much power you think you can put into a set, uh, invest a little bit more into kind of like the sideways stuff that actually has the potential to spawn off new archetypes. Mm, good take. Uh, yeah, the, the polls are just too pronounced, too strong. Uh, you know, even at moments where... Sultai Ultimatum's win percentage is not super high. The outsized effect it has on what is or is not viable in the metagame is almost impossible to overcome. So we were stuck any way you sliced it, I think. But that leads me to my closing sentiment. I would like you to give me, on a scale of 1 to 10, your final rating for Dungeons & Dragons Adventures in the Forgotten Realms after hating this set for a very long time during preview season, although it was a short preview season, but I was low on it. I, I now think it's a good solid set. I am going to give it a seven and I'm going to not speak for the rest of this podcast. You realize that I'm about to ask you to clarify the scale and all of these things and be clear, but I guess if you're not responding and you're just gone already, I'll give it like a six or something. Just arbitrarily without I don't know, any sort of qualifier game. Good luck.